that is that music is so fun. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> good morning, everyone. Hi, my name is Noah. Um, as, as Pastor Ann said, um, I tend to ask a lot of questions. Uh, those are not intended to be rhetorical in nature. I, I really love to hear other people's voices, not just my own. So if I ask a question, please feel free to, to shout out, say something. Um, I apologize if I ask you to repeat it. Um, so there we go. Okay, so here we are, Luke 11, um, 1 through 4. Now, I want to start with something as we look at the beginning of those verses. Um, if you could pull up that first. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, so there's something uh, before we dive into these verses, um, well, as we actually dive into these verses, and we'll talk about what, a few of the things that Jesus is saying when he's talking about what are the things we're saying when we're praying. First, though, I want to point to something. The word disciples. When we think about disciples, I think there's something really interesting as these verses begin, that we start with talking about Jesus' disciples, referencing John's disciples. And when we think about discipleship, what does discipleship really look like? And so I want to share um, a really quick old, old teaching um, about discipleship that I really think paints a picture of, of how discipleship might have been thought of even 2,000 years ago. So very old teaching. Um, it goes something like this. There was a, a famous rabbi um, in very far eastern parts of Europe. And he had, uh, was very famous, very well-renowned. He had kind of a closed, uh, very close, not closed, close group of disciples, very small group. And one of those disciples ended up leaving and going back to serve in his community. So he had an opening uh, in his people who were discipling under him. Um, when this happened, uh, a number of people came to that rabbi and were looking to, to follow him. And so he ended up having roughly, we might term it like four applicants come to him and say, I would like to be your disciple. But he really only had space for one. So he goes to the first person and he asks them, why are you here to be my disciple? And the person said, Rabbi, I have heard it said that to hear you teach is to understand God's word in an entirely new revolutionary way that can bring transformation and I just, I want to hear you teach, and I want to learn how to teach as you teach. And the rabbi said, thank you. I thank you for sharing that, that I thank you. He says to the second person, why are you here? And the second person says, rabbi, I have heard that to hear you pray, you bring healing and you bring restoration. You pray with such power and strength, and I would love to learn to pray how you pray. And the rabbi said, wow, I Thank you so much. I, that's very powerful about prayer, and it's such an important thing in our community. Third person says, um, you know, why are you here? Third person says, I've heard it said that to witness you serve the poor is such a gift, that you are so giving and kind. You lend such an ear, and you understand their needs. And I'd love to learn how to engage with the poor in our community the way you do. And the rabbi said, serving the poor, there's few more important things in the world that we could do than serve those who are most in need in our community. And the rabbi notices the fourth person walking out the door. And he says, um, excuse me, uh, where are you going? And he said, no, I'm, I'm in the wrong place. And the rabbi said, why are you here? And the gentleman said, I'm embarrassed to say why I'm here. Please just let me leave. And the rabbi said, do me this favor, tell me why you are here. And the gentleman said, I'm here because I wanted to see how you tie your shoes. And the rabbi said, you, you are my disciple. 
teaching is so important. It's part of fundamental to our faith. Praying, the significance of prayer, and we're talking about that today, absolutely core. Serving the poor, the most in need in our community, few things could be more important. I would want to suggest there's a dimension to discipleship that is witnessing the person we are following and seeing every single moment from whether we are tying our shoes to whether we are putting on a shirt that can be a form of learning, teaching, that can be an act of prayer and worship, and that it can be a way in which we can be serving those who are most in need in our community. And discipleship, I think one of the things that gets to be so hard when we talk about discipleship or being disciples and what that looks like is we have this incredible book that is so very helpful. What does it mean to witness with our own eyes and to follow each and everything of the one we are trying to follow? And I want to suggest in, in a real deep dimension of discipleship, there is literally a walking, a following, a looking at every single thing that God Jesus is doing and saying, yeah, that, whether it's tying our shoes, the most mundane act can be something we can learn from, can be an act of prayer and worship, can be a way we can be serving those most in need in our midst. And so I just, as we talk about these words and as we talk about the significance of prayer, because it is so important, the idea of discipleship and what does it really mean to witness who we're following in everything they're doing from the simplest to the most maybe complex and dynamic. So I just want to, because when we talk about discipleship, there's just, I think sometimes um, there are so many dimensions to it, and I think sometimes it can get kind of very narrowly framed, and yet I want to suggest it's actually a much bigger conversation that is all-encompassing of, of everything. So, okay. Um, so just a little about discipleship. Now prayer, because that's what Luke, the, the book, Scott Jathani's book is, we're talking about this week, is we're talking about prayer, so prayer. Um, but just had to, a little bit about discipleship. So um, prayer, uh, if we could, sorry, go to the next. Um, well, as we go to this, any questions, comments, thoughts on anything there about discipleship? Okay. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. So I want to spend a little bit of time in thinking about daily bread. When we think about this, um, talking 2,000 years ago, when we're saying daily bread or bread, what do we mean when we say that? What are the implications of that? Louder? Sustenance, right? Give us, give us our sustenance. Give us the what? Food. Louder? Nourishment, right? Give us the things that we need to survive, right? And what's interesting to think about this in this moment is when Jesus is saying this is how you pray, we're asking for nourishment. We're asking for food. We're asking for sustenance. We're asking for something that sustains us. And we're asking for that how, be given to us how? Daily each day. Um, different translations, right, will say things like, give us this day our daily bread. This, you know, uh, New King James, give us day by day our daily bread. This idea of each day, give us what we need to be sustained, to be nourished, to be fed. Now, I, I'm, I don't, a lot of times nowadays, um, 
when we think about being sustained daily, um, most folks um, might not want to be sustained daily because if I'm being sustained just day by day, what does that imply? I don't have enough to buy for tomorrow, right? And if I don't have enough to buy for tomorrow, that might sound like someone's being really what? They might be poor. They might be being what with their resources? Stingy, short-sighted, you said, frugal, foolish. Okay, right, that idea of, oh, you're being irresponsible, you're being foolish. And, and I want to suggest that I don't think that this is just talking about, you know, uh, don't ever save or don't ever be thoughtful with the things that God has given us and how to hold the yes, be thoughtful with what God has given us and that each day we, we on some deep level are what? On God. Reliant, dependent. Um, and we get, I think, such a clear picture of this pretty early on in our Bible when, where do we see this incredible dependence, reliance on God for literally our daily sustenance? Manna, right? In Exodus. How, I mean, literally the picture of manna in the book of Exodus is, is this exact conversation. Um, you know, and when we talk about manna, what is it? Um, uh, because manna, uh, quite literally in Hebrew, means what is it? Um, which is so fun. Uh, sorry, it's like it's literally that's what that means. Um, so every time it says manna, you're literally in Hebrew would read, what is it? Um, and so it's literally in what they're consuming is a question. Uh, and one could get into a whole probably very long study and conversation of what does it mean to day by day be dependent and reliant upon God to consume of a question. Um, and yet that is what God is giving the Israelites day by day in the wilderness. Um, here we are being instructed to eat a question every day, um, which, mm, there you go. Okay, uh, but, okay, so in thinking about the picture of manna, um, it will be in Exodus chapter 16, this will be starting in verse 14, to think about when we're talking about daily bread, what is daily bread looking like when we first really see this picture so beautifully displayed for us in the book of Exodus, um, as Jesus is talking about here, give us this day our daily bread. So this will be Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse 14. When the fall of dew lifted there, over the surface of the wilderness lay a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? In Hebrew, literally, manna, or so fun. Um, for they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, that is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. That is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you requires to eat. An omer to a person, for as many of you as there are, each of you shall fetch for those in his tent. The Israelites did so, some gathering much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who had gathered much had no excess. And he who had gathered little had no deficiency. They had gathered as much as they needed to eat. I want to suggest, you know, when we're talking about daily bread, we're talking about what sustains us, what, what we're being fed on, God providing for us. And part of the original picture of this is, does everyone get the same exact amount of provision? No. 
And God is actually really clear about this in Exodus, right? And that might sound to us to be a bit what? Weird. Arbitrary. Arbitrary. Unfair. Thank you. That was the word I was thinking of too, right? Unfair. Weird, arbitrary, unfair, right? Because some people are getting much, some are getting little. And yet, it's real life, right? When we're talking about people gathering this by the tent. Is every tent going to have the same amount of people? No. Some tents are probably going to have two or three people. Other tents might have 10 people. Do they need the same amount of food? Okay. Does someone who is, uh, let's say, 15 years old and very much in that stage of life, um, I can remember how much I could eat at 15. Wish I could eat that much today. Um, uh, when they are 73, do you need as much food as you did when you were 15? And so this idea of, well, it doesn't seem fair, and it doesn't, on one level, seem fair. And yet I think there's very much like a, a base reality of, yeah, but not everyone really needs the exact same amount. I want just, there's also, I think, something embedded in this as well, which is, I think I have a tendency, when I look at what God, would, or maybe I'm looking at and I'm saying, God is providing this for this person. This is how God is sustaining this person. And sometimes I might look at that, and I might look at that and say, What? Ooh, who said that? Thank you. I wish I had that. Oof. What, was, what was it over here? Yeah, okay. I wish I had that. God, why are you giving them all of that? I wish I had that. And here's God is actually telling us from all the way back in Exodus, as people are starting to follow the Lord in the wilderness, if you think following me means y'all get the exact same amount, that, that, that's not quite the conversation we're having, which on one level, again, does not always seem fair. And yet, sometimes someone needs a certain degree of provision in order to function. And someone else might not need as much. And yet, can I not look at that person and say, I have less. I am missing out. And what does it mean to not just, not only not look at them and say, I wish I had that. I'd want to suggest maybe, what does it mean to literally be praying and thankful and asking for and grateful to God for what he has given each of us. And not just look with some degree of, of lust or jealousy or desire in my own eyes for that which I see someone else has been given by God. And it, the degree of detail. Those who had gathered much had no excess. Those who had little had no deficiency. It's not saying there was any lack or there was any excess. No, everyone had exactly what they needed. It wasn't all the same. Everyone had exactly what they needed. Give us this day our daily bread. That dependence, reliance on God day by day. And we live in a country, a civilization where a lot of folks, not all, but a lot of people can't afford to plan, be it a week or a month, sometimes a year or years into the future for how their provision will be handled and held. And then I'd want to suggest there's provision that isn't just eating of literal physical food, that we are looking for day by day, dependence, reliance on God to be sustained and nourished. 
and to kind of break out of this as strictly a food-based conversation, which is hard because we're talking bread, and yet when we're talking bread, we're talking about what nourishes us, what sustains us. Um, in Amos chapter 8, uh, it'll talk about uh, a time is coming, declares my Lord God, where there will not be um, a famine for bread or, or a thirst for water, but for hearing the words of the Lord. And the idea of bread and sustenance, not strictly talking about food that I'm putting in my mouth, but that there's a famine for the word of the Lord. There's a famine for spiritual fruit. There's a famine for those things that animate us, that give us life. And that is every bit as much what nourishes and sustains us as sometimes the literal things that I'm eating. So, okay. Um, any questions, comments, thoughts on anything we're saying here with give us this day our daily bread? Ladder, please. Yeah, so much of this is spiritual, you know, as you said, and it's just pointedly spiritual. I mean, this is, to some degree, physical, maybe has some potential spiritual reading, but very a physical thing. And I think, well, I love that idea. Um, because how much of, well, would take us in another direction, but I love that because how much of the things that I will pray for are physical things. Um, and I'm not trying to say that that's bad or that that's wrong or that I shouldn't be doing it, and yet how much of my prayers are for physical things and how many things in here, I'm not praying for a thing that I can hold in my hand. You know, and this is the, the most maybe physically piece of this thing, um, and yet, you know, how often are we praying or what are we praying for? Okay, okay, okay. <clears throat> um, next part of this, because I know time. Um, uh, so um, the next part of this, for we also forgive, or sorry, excuse me, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Um, I, the New King James does this so nicely and well, and I think it's actually really helpful. Some translations, excuse me, will say things like, um, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who has sinned against us. Um, or forgive us our trespasses, we forgive everyone who has trespassed against us. That's actually not what the Greek says. Um, quite literally, it is, forgive us our sins, or forgive us our missings of the mark, as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Meaning it's not actually saying the same thing. It's saying, right, I'm praying to God to forgive me, us, our sins, my missings of the mark, as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Now, when we think about the idea of maybe someone being indebted to us, how might we conjugate that idea? When we think about debt, what's like the first thing you think of? Money. Money, 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 right? We tend to think about money. That tends to be the first thing. Money, debt, money. Okay, how also can debt be thought of? What else might someone be indebted to me for? Favors. <laughs> Favors. I did all of these things for you, ergo, ooh, you owe me. What was that? You do these things for me, right? That's the mathematical equation. That's the giving person that I am, that I did all these things for you, so you will give all these things, right? Because that's, that's really kindness in general. Okay, sorry. Um, but, okay, you owe me. And I think there's that idea very much. There's the monetary way. I think we frame the concept of debt. There's favors. I've done stuff for you. You do stuff for me. 
I want to throw in another thing into the mix as well. Sometimes there's, let's say, um, a debt that I might be holding because I feel I've been wronged. I wasn't treated well. I didn't appreciate how I was spoken to or the actions that were taken to me. And I feel like that person owes me big time. And they should do what? Bare minimum apologize, right? <laughs> Literally the very least they could do, um, right? And in that moment, they should say, Noah, please forgive me, right? And then I have to decide out of the kindness of my heart and the goodness of how God has made me if I want to relieve them of that debt, right? And okay, and, and I want to just, the way that this sometimes looks or works, um, I, I'd want to kind of give a real life example here. So um, last weekend uh, was a time um, uh, as God lays out the sacred calendar in Leviticus 23, um, uh, the Day of Atonement was kind of last Sunday night into Monday um, in the Hebrew calendar. And the Day of Atonement, the thought is, is really a forgiving of things that have been done over the course of a year. Um, quite literally, it'll say in Leviticus 23, uh, a humbling of our communal souls. It talks about doing on the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur in Hebrew. And kind of entering into that space last Sunday night, um, I was struck very deeply that I felt like God was encouraging me, and I felt that I actually wanted to, for the first time, forgive some people in my family. Um, over the last 18 months, I um, uh, got married to my incredible wife, Holly, um, who's over there. Uh, yeah, she's great. Um, and, and, uh, and in the process of getting married, um, I felt that some family hadn't really shown up in a way that I felt was honoring of, of me or of us, and, and I felt very hurt by that. And over the last 18 months, there were a number of times when I would think about them. And to put it maybe in the kindest way, the feelings and thoughts that bubbled up were not ones of love or forgiveness or of wanting to embrace. Um, and I could even hear it in my tone. I was angry. I was unhappy. I felt hurt. I felt wronged. And it was very there. Sunday night rolls around. And I, for the first time, was feeling, I want to forgive them. I want to forgive them. Because I feel over the last year and a half, I've been holding on to this debt that they owe me. They need to come and apologize to me and ask me to forgive them for how they treated me. And I would say that they have no idea that I'm hurt. They have no idea they've done anything that they would even need to apologize for. And so I'm holding on to a debt that they don't even get, they've been given an invoice for. They're not even remotely aware that there's anything there to apologize for. And yet I'm holding on to this thing thinking, you better ask me to forgive you. You better do it. You better do it. Then I'll feel so much better. Sunday night, I want to forgive them. First time in 18 months, I want to forgive them. And I think when we think about ideas, concepts surrounding forgiveness, um, I think there's, I would say in that moment, I, I could even feel my thoughts towards them changing. When I woke up Monday morning, when I thought about them, there wasn't anger. I didn't have an emotion boiling up inside that was ugly or, or that I really wasn't comfortable with. And who's to say that in two months it won't be there again? But in that moment, it wasn't. And it hasn't been over the last week. 
And when I talk about them, I don't, I don't feel my voice changing in a way where I'm like, oh, I know I'm mad right now, as much as I might not want to admit it. And again, who knows to say that in weeks or months to come that it might not bubble up again. And I want to forgive them. And I think there was a moment on Monday where um, I was sitting and I was thinking, should I call them? Should I email them? Should I tell them that I forgave them? <laughs> you know, like, is that, is that a, a, and it was this moment that was striking. And I went, I, I don't think so. They don't even know <laughs> that I'm looking for an apology, which, you know, I forgive you. What did I do? Would probably be the response. Um, but just, uh, it wasn't that I was seeking a relationship with them. You know, in, in many ways, that, that relationship was a season and a time, and okay, it's not there. And, and who knows, maybe it could be in the future, but it certainly isn't today. And that doesn't mean I have any less of a forgiveness for what transpired. I think sometimes there's ideas around forgiveness, that forgiveness looks like everything's the way it used to be. We're all made up, and we hugged and kissed it out, and now everything's just, it's all good. And that can be possible. I'd want to suggest, though, for that to really be possible, there has to be a mutual understanding of the parties involved to say, I I'm sorry, and I forgive you, right? I felt wronged. I really, whatever, however that conversation might go, but there has to be a both understanding in that. And who's to say when that time will come? I think oftentimes, too, there's problems with how we frame forgiveness. A forgiveness sometimes will say, you need to forgive when, now. I love the way your face there. Now. You need to forgive now, right? I don't want to turn this into a framework or a formula of, this is how quickly you have to forgive. And if you've taken more than a week, it's been too long. Or if you've taken more than 18 months, you've missed it. Or it, it happens when it happens, right? Because just as much as there is a complexity sometimes in forgiving others, I'd watch this, there's also very much a complexity in what it mean to recognize the things that I've done. What does it mean to feel like I can actually receive um, the forgiveness that I'm asking for. Because sometimes maybe one isn't aware. Maybe one feels so bad that they don't even know how another could possibly forgive them for what they've done. And so I, to try to break out of the, well, this has to happen on a certain time frame, or it has to look a certain way when it happens. Um, I'd want to suggest what I understand here to being said on a very deep level, forgive us our missings of the mark as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And that debt can take so many type of shape and forms. It could be a slight, a comment, an unthinking thing that someone has said, an intentional act that was deeply wounding and hurtful to the core. And then what that looks like in an after, again, I wouldn't want to try to box and say, this is how forgiveness has to look, or it's going to be the same for every person. When you have multiple parties involved, you have different people, you're woven by God in these magnificent ways. The notion that it's going to be the exact same for everyone as we work through these processes would very much want to. And so how do we forgive, truly forgive, and not try to rush ourselves or each other through these spaces? Um, and forgive, asking for the Lord to forgive us our, my missings of the mark, as we forgive those who are indebted to us and all the different kinds of debts we can hold. And I love, I love, as you said, in, in, in looking at this, the daily bread is the most physical, tangible thing I could really hold in this conversation um, about the prayer that Jesus is outlining here. Um, and what does it mean to, yes, pray for 
our daily sustenance, our daily needs, and what does it mean to pray for things that I might not be able to hold or to accrue, to amass or to build up? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we don't have time. So, um, let us pray. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the gift of this time. Thank you for the treasures that you've given us in your word. Thank you that we get to witness you, that we can follow you as best as we can. Lord God, we pray in all the ways that we would honor and glorify you in all the things we say and everything we do in every conversation we have. And Lord God, we pray that in those moments where we miss the mark, we pray for your forgiveness. We pray, Lord God, that you would forgive all of the debts we're holding. And Lord God, whatever that timing may look like, we trust you and we love you and we know that you have good for us in all of the things that we're walking through. Lord God, it is in your holy name we pray.